0: Well, good evening. If so you open your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 14. Next week, Franklin Graham is going to be here. He couldn't be here tonight. He's uh, at a conference that I was at with him this last week, and he's still there with his father. But uh, he'll be in next Saturday night and Sunday morning. Now, a word. To anyone who's listening by radio and thinks, I'm going to come 11 o'clock service or 9.30 service, we already have 800 people or so in overflow on those two services. That is, people who can't fit in the auditorium but watch it by closed circuit somewhere else. I would advise that first service Sunday morning or the service Saturday night would be your option to come to because there's just a little more breathing room And uh, you get a better chance. And I would um, also encourage you to bring somebody who is unsaved. Do any of you know anybody at all who's unsaved? (laughs) Okay, four or five of you are honest. You ought to bring those people next week. It would be a good time to do that. John chapter 14. Oh, that's right. We are joined live on a uh, satellite uh, network across the country on several radio stations, coast to coast. And uh, we have one new one to welcome tonight. You'll get this one. This is, this is easy. Gainesville, Gainesville, Georgia. An 88.7. Would you please welcome our audience? You have heard a few minutes ago an excellent example of musical harmony as Michael was leading the worship group and the kids came out as well. And these voices blended beautifully together to complement the main note, the melody. In uh, music, and I'm not an expert by any means at it, but you can harmonize in three parts. You have a three-part harmony where you can blend a first, a third, and a fifth. A chord is developed by putting these notes together. You can also add a fourth part harmony, though it's a little trickier to get that note exactly right. But to blend those notes when they work, it really sounds great. This last week, Lenny and I were back in West Virginia at a Billy Graham and Franklin Graham combined conference for his staff and his board. And one of the video clips they were showing us was one of the crusades where George Beverly Shea Cliff Barrows and Billy Graham were doing these harmonies together on this song at a crusade in Jacksonville, Florida. And they were singing, of all songs, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But it was just really cool to hear those three singing harmony together. Well, later on that day, we were at dinner, and uh, Dennis Agajanian, who you also know very well, was there, and you know, Dennis isn't afraid of anything. And he saw Billy's wife Ruth sitting at a table eating dinner, so he took he and his two buddies and decided to sing a cappella with three part harmonies just to sing to her at the dinner table. So they were singing some songs, and uh, a little bit later on, I joined to add a fourth lower harmony. And it was just a lot of fun. When you get it right, <laughs> have you ever heard somebody sing a little bit off key when they try to do a harmony? And you know what? That's the one note you're going to remember. You won't remember all the great notes that were sung. Just that one little out-of-note part. Uh, Several years ago, you may remember, even in the reruns, how Jerry Lewis would try to sing with um, Dean Martin, when Dean Martin had the beautiful everybody. And he'd go, and it just like didn't fit right. That, that one little harmony note just didn't quite make it. Well, in the Godhead, in the Trinity, there is always harmony between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is never a problem getting the minds and the wills of the harmony of the Trinity to match perfectly. We get a hint of that in Genesis 1 where we read, God said, let us make man In our image. After our likeness. There's a little kind of a window into the communication of the Trinity. Inner Trinitarian communication. Let us make man in our image. You never read about the Holy Spirit saying, Well, wait a minute, I disagree. Or the Son saying, Well, can we vote on that? There was perfect accord and there is always perfect accord Not so in our lives. And if our life is out of tune, I propose to you, we're the ones singing off key. And we want to look at that tonight in John chapter 14, some familiar verses. Beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In that passage, all three members of the Trinity are spoken about in relationship to those disciples in the upper room. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now tonight, I'm not here to unravel all the mysteries of the Trinity. I couldn't if I tried. I want to be more practical. Rather than unraveling the mysteries of the Trinity, I would like to unveil the ministry of the Trinity in your life. And though the bulk of the text deals with the Holy Spirit and the believer, there is a hint at the roles that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit play in harmony together with our lives. You might say... That God the Father is like the great composer. The Son, Jesus Christ, is sort of like the first violin, the main character that we see. And then there's the Holy Spirit who is the conductor bringing harmony with all of our parts. We take our cues from Him. Because it is God's will, it is God's song, our part is to cooperate with the conductor, not to rewrite the score. Not to ad-lib, oh, I'd like to play this little part. Or to say, excuse me, but I'd like to be the conductor here for a while. It's not our role. Our role is to simply say yes, obey, cooperate. Let me read you a little story about somebody who tried to be the conductor, who really shouldn't have been. He wanted to conduct, the story begins, but his conducting style was idiosyncratic. During soft passages, he would crouch extremely low. For loud sections, he would often leap into the air, even shouting to the orchestra. His memory was poor. Once he forgot that he had instructed the orchestra not to repeat a section of music. During the performance, when he went back to repeat the section, they went forward, so he stopped the whole piece, hollering, stop, that's wrong, that will not do. For his own piano concerto, he tried conducting from the piano. At one point, he jumped from the bench, bumping the candles off of the piano. At another concert, he knocked over a choir boy. During one long, delicate passage, he jumped high to a cue, a loud entrance, but nothing happened because he had lost count and signaled the orchestra too soon. As his hearing worsened, musicians tried to ignore his conducting and got their cues from the first violinist. Finally, the musicians pled with him to go home and to give up conducting, which he finally did. His name, Ludwig von Beethoven. Great musician, one of the world's best composers, but the beauty to the operation of music is cooperation. Not trying to do it all yourself. And we could learn a lesson from that. We need to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Let's begin with the first role, the Father's part. I turn your attention to verse 16. I'm going to sort of start there and work our way through. Rather than verse by verse, person by person, beginning with the Father. His role is that of provider, For Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The word give means to furnish, to supply what is necessary. The Father provides the musical score. The Father is the great provider. In fact, as we go through the whole Bible, we see that one of the principal roles of God as the Father, the first person of the Trinity is to provide everything we need in life. Here's a few passages. He's pictured as the giver of life in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 13, God who gives life to all things. To Israel in the Old Testament, he said, I'll give you the land, I'll give you rest from your enemies, I'll give you rain, God will give his beloved sleep. Then also in Ecclesiastes 2, God is seen as the giver of satisfaction in life. God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. God is the giver of man's productive will. Deuteronomy chapter 8, God gives you the power to get wealth. John three sixteen, the most famous passage of all, He gives His only begotten Son because He so loved the world. And here He is said to give another Helper. The Holy Spirit. One of the first names of God in the whole Bible was Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Genesis chapter 22. And so it's right that we sing sometimes in the doxology praise God from whom all blessings flow. He is the source of all provision. Or, in our analogy, the great composer who gives the the musical score of his love and all the benefits included to us. And then Jesus taught us to relate to our Father as provider. He said, when you pray, pray this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now to us in the West, to pray, give us this day our daily bread, seems a little out of place. When was the last time you asked that God would give you your next meal? Most of us aren't worried about that. Most of us in this culture are on diets. We don't say, oh Lord, please, I need my next meal. We say, Lord, I'm about to eat a meal. Restrain me, Lord, (laughs) from making an absolute pig out of myself. So why are we taught to relate to our Father as provider? Because when we do that, we acknowledge that God is the source and we depend upon Him. It all comes from God. That's God's proper place. He provides. And God does pretty good, doesn't He? I mean, He provides us lavishly. He treats us well. David said, My cup, runneth over. I hope you can say that, because it does. Yet I speak to some Christians, and it's like, my cup leaketh under. (laughs) God as the provider gives you even more than you need. Dr. Wilbur Chapman, who was a great Bible teacher years ago, one of his favorite stories was a true story about a man who at one time was a beggar at a Pennsylvania train depot. And he was asking people for money, panhandling one evening, and he tapped a man on the shoulder, said, excuse me, can I borrow 10 cents, or would you give me 10 cents? As the man turned around, the beggar noticed it was his own father that he hadn't seen for years. And the beggar said, Father, do you recognize me? And his father gave him a huge hug and said, You want ten cents? Everything I have is yours. Now imagine, here's a guy asking his father for a dime when for 18 years his father had been looking for him to give him everything he owned. God is a lavish provider. He gives. And here he is said to give the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is principally referring to here. I will pray the Father, and he will give to you the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Acts 1 and 2 is called the gift of the Father. Jesus said in the Gospels, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So, God's part is he is the provider of all, the giver. What's our role to be? To receive the gift. When somebody gives a gift, you receive it. Have you received God's gift of salvation in Christ? Have you received the control of the Holy Spirit in your life? If that's His role, that's our response. Second is the Savior's part. And that is the role of intercessor. Same verse, but look at it. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. Here now, Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask. Pray is the word He used. Urge would be another translation. Implore. Or perhaps, better yet, prompt. I'm going to prompt the Father. And in response to my urging, my prompting, the Father is going to give you the Holy Spirit. But here Jesus says, I'm going to pray. And this marks, listen carefully, this marks the beginning of Jesus' intercessory ministry for His children. You know, while Jesus was on the earth, we know that He prayed. In fact, the Bible said He was one time, a couple of times, spent all night in prayer to God. In John chapter 17, we, we get to eavesdrop on that prayer. He prays for the apostles. He prays for their future. Lord, I pray for those that you have given to me. And then Jesus skips ahead and he prays for us. Did you know that? He prayed for you. I think it was in verse 20 where Jesus starts saying in John 17, Not only do I pray for these alone, that is the disciples, but I pray for all of those who will believe on me through their word. That's you. You believe in Jesus through the Word of the Apostles. And what you should know tonight is Jesus is still praying for you. That's what He's doing tonight. This is part of the unfinished work of Christ. You know, we talk so often about the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is salvation on the cross. He said on the cross, it is finished. What is finished? The work of salvation. He would pay for it. You can't add to it. It's done. But we sometimes neglect the unfinished work of Christ. He ascended to the right hand of His Father when He rose from the dead. You might ask, well, what's He been doing up there all this time? He's been talking to the Father about you, praying for you. Romans 8 says, He is at the right hand of God and He also makes intercession for us. The book of Hebrews says, He always lives to make intercession for us. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's your advocate. Better translation, defense attorney. Pleading your case. You ask, well, why do I need an attorney? Well, because there's a devil. And because there's you. And the devil, one of his names is called, he's the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, right? Who accuses them before God day and night. So Satan's out there looking for evidence against you to show the Father. And you know what? He didn't have to look very far. It's not like he has to make up lies. He just has to give the evidence, the truth. Brings it before God and accuses you. Okay, God, there's your Christian. Look at him. Look what he's done. Look what she's done. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to plead your own case? The evidence is there. The accusations, so many of them are true. Oh, I'm not a sinner, God. Please, don't even try. (laughs) So you have a lawyer, a defense attorney, an advocate who comes into the courtroom of heaven as Satan is accusing you, so to speak, and says... Based upon the merits of my shed blood, Dad, we should let this person be acquitted. And the gavel goes down and God says, You're forgiven. You have an advocate. An intercessor. So the unfinished work of Jesus pleading to the Father in heaven is based on the finished work of Jesus while he was on the earth. How does that make you feel? You're on Jesus' prayer list. I mean, how can you lose? You know, somebody will say, Skip, I've been praying for you. And you know, I am honored by that. But I know that Jesus is praying for me. That's awesome. I read a story about a man who, during Lincoln's presidency, was seen outside the White House when you could congregate outside the White House. And he was sitting in a chair... At one of the gates at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and this man was weeping. A little boy came by and noticed this older guy sitting there with tears in his eyes and said, What are you crying for? The man said, My son, who is in the army, has just been sentenced to be shot, to be killed because he deserted his post. I know that Mr. Lincoln is a kind president and I know that if I could speak to him and tell him all of the things that happened that caused him to desert his post, I'm sure he would pardon my son. But I can't get through the gates. The guards won't let me through. And the little boy said, I'll take you to the president. The man said, what, you? Who are you? He said, I'm the president's son. He said, I can come in and see him anytime I feel like it. Let's go. And so it is said that they went in and he pleaded his case and his son was set free. Now Jesus Christ says to you, I'll take you in to see my father. I'll plead your case before the father. I will ask the father on your behalf. And so while the principal text here deals with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we see the role of the father is to provide, the role of the son, and it's an ongoing ministry, is to intercede to plead. Now let's look at verse 16. This is the Spirit's part. He is the Helper. And I will pray the Father. He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I want you to notice something about the text. When Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, He uses words like he, him, and whom. Those are words of a person, personality. Not it, that, but he, him, whom. These are words that designate personality. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. In fact, the Bible Refers to him often as God. This is the Trinity. Christians believe there is one God eternally existing in three persons. Now we know that, but every time we hear it, we go, huh? How does that work exactly? One God eternally existing in three persons. Some are mistaken and they say, oh, you're just tritheistic. You believe in three separate gods. Uh-uh. One God, eternally existing in three persons. Others will say, you're into modalism. That is, there's one God who's just called by different names and shows up doing different things. No. One God, eternally existing in three separate persons. Don't be disappointed if you can't figure it out. You know why? You won't be the first and you won't be the last. This has been a subject that's been debated and talked about and written about for years. And a lot of times people walk away from the deeper study of it and go, Huh? Like St. Augustine, who wrote about it and researched it and studied the original languages. And he said one day he was so puzzled by the Trinity, he went down to the beach. And he saw a little boy taking cups of water out of the ocean and putting them into a little hole he had dug. And Augustine went over to him and said, what exactly are you doing? The little boy said, I'm going to put the ocean into this hole. (laughs) And it was like a light went off in Augustine's head. He said, that's what I've been trying to do. Put all of infinite God into my finite, limited brain. I cannot do it. So I don't understand all of it, but I know that the Bible declares it. And because God is infinite, you can't reduce Him to a formula. I've seen people try to do that, say, well, the Trinity is sort of like an apple. You know, you've got the skin and the core and the meat. Or it's like an egg, you've got the shell and the yolk and the white. Or it's like water, you have vapor, you have liquid, you have solid. All of those are unsatisfactory. They don't quite do it. I cannot fit infinite God and all that He is into my little brain. But I know that the Father is called God. I know that the Son is called God. And I know that the Holy Spirit is called God. And the early church lived in the tension of that truth. This is the Holy Spirit now. Notice He's called the Helper. That's good news. Because I need all the help I can get. And Jesus is saying, I am going to intercede for you to the Father, and He's going to give you a helper. Good, because the Christian life isn't easy to live. I can't do it on my own. The word helper is the Greek word parakletos, one who is called or summoned alongside of you to help. Often the word is translated counselor. Sometimes the word is comforter. The Amplified Version helps. It says, One called the stand constantly by us who is ready to take part in everything in which his help is needed. In other words, he's not sitting around. He's very, very active. Notice also he is called another helper. Not just a helper, another helper. I don't believe that words in the Bible are just put there by accident. I think each one is placed there by the Holy Spirit. And here's one that I want to tell you what it means. Another helper. In the Greek language, there are two words for another. There's the word alas, which means another of exactly the same kind. There's the Greek word heteros, which means another of a different kind. Example. Somebody's in your car, or you're driving along, or at your house, and you, you put in a CD. Hey, listen to my music. And they go, oh, that's really cool. I like that music. That's a great CD. I'd like to get one. You pull the CD out, and you give it to them. You say, here, take it. It's yours. It's a gift. So you go back to the store, and you say to the clerk, I was here the other day, and I bought that CD. I would like another. In other words, I want another of the same kind. Alas, not heteros, another one, but exactly like the first one. So they give you another one. You take that one home and play it, but let's say there's a defect. It skips or it doesn't play. So you take it back to the store and you say, Excuse me, this thing is defective. I want another. You would use, if you were Greek, the word heteros, another one of a different kind. In other words, I don't want to smudge on it, I don't want it to skip. When Jesus says the Father is going to give you another helper, it's the word alas. One of exactly the same kind. All that I have been to you, the Holy Spirit will be to you. As you have relied upon me all of these three and a half years, you're going to be able to rely now upon the Holy Spirit. In fact, verse 18, it's beautifully put. I will not leave you orphans... I will come to you. In ancient Judaism, disciples who lost their their mentor or their rabbi were often called orphans. If their rabbi died, and they had no mentor. They were designated as spiritual orphans. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And the fulfillment of him coming to them is in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you another alas parakletos, comforter. One like me who will be everything to you that I am to you. Something else to notice about this helper. He's a permanent helper. Verse 16. He will abide with you forever. How long was Jesus with them? Three, three and a half years. The Holy Spirit isn't going to leave after three and a half years, guys. He's not going to be here for a decade or two and then leave. It will be a permanent ministry. He'll dwell with you forever. Verse 17, He dwells with you, and notice, shall be in you. Later on in Acts 1, Jesus will say, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. So that's the relationship you might say we have to this this other helper. He's with us, He's in us, and He comes upon us. I think I can help by saying, He comes after us to make us saved. He comes into us to make us sanctified and He comes upon us to make us sensational. That is, He empowers us to do His work. The Holy Spirit is with us before we're saved. He's the one who says, You need Christ really bad. Look at your life. It's empty. You need salvation. You can't make it on your own. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes within you to make you holy, sanctified, changed, different. But then the Holy Spirit will come upon you, empowering you for service. Not only that, not only is he a helper, not only is he another helper, not only is he a permanent helper, he's a reliable, accurate helper. Jesus calls him the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit of God is the source of all truth. Meaning, if you want the truth about God and the truth about you, it comes by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, as seen even in the Scriptures. Look over at uh, chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 7. We get a little bit of light shed on that. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He's a reliable helper. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot know the truth about God or the truth about ourselves. How can you tell if a person's filled with the Holy Spirit? You say, I know, he, he acts really charismatic and he jumps around and he speaks in odd languages or, or says cryptic kind of things. Well, one of the ways is that he speaks truth. He's called here the spirit of truth. And I would say balanced truth. He doesn't emphasize one portion of truth Over the other. You won't get harmony in your Christian life if you pluck one string of truth and negate the rest of it. That's why it helps to go through the whole Bible and get God's balanced teaching on every single subject. So, one of the marks of the Holy Spirit is the truth and a love for the truth, a boldness for the truth. You're not ashamed of the truth. Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, said, If there were only one prayer that I might pray before I died, it would be this, Lord, send thy church men filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. People unashamed to proclaim truth. Then finally, he's an exclusive helper. Notice this, Jesus says, The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. At this very moment, in this very room, there are radio waves and television waves. They're here. There's music right now in this room and there are pictures right here. Some good, some not so good. We, we don't pay any attention to them, but we would if we had a receiver. If we had a receiver, then we'd notice them. And the reason many times the unsaved doesn't notice the Holy Spirit is because they haven't received the truth. They haven't received Jesus Christ. The world doesn't know the Spirit of God. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness unto him. You talk to a person about his soul, about salvation, and until the Holy Spirit has opened up their eyes, what do they say? Get out of here. I don't want to hear that nonsense. That's superstitious. You made that up, or that's your opinion. Sometimes we wonder when we share with unbelievers and they don't receive Christ, we think, why don't they get it? Are they blind? Exactly. That's the whole point. It's like trying to describe a beautiful sunset to somebody who is physically blind and lacks the capability to appreciate the beauty. Or to somebody who is deaf to say, Did you hear that beautiful note in the orchestra? They didn't. They lack the capacity. And so it is spiritually. A person lacks the spiritual capacity. The world doesn't get it unless the Holy Spirit opens up their eyes, opens up their heart, and they, by their own volition, say yes to him. So those are the three parts. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father is the provider. The Son is the intercessor. The Spirit is our helper. There is a fourth part, and that is ours. And remember I said at the beginning that three-part harmonies are a lot easier than four-part harmonies. That fourth part, you, you have to be just right. You have to fit that note just in there or you'll get it all off base. Well, the fourth part of this song is our part of conforming, of obeying. And since we only have one part, we better get it right. Here it is, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's our part. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus repeats that in verse 20. On that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, if we're not obeying Christ, we're fighting God the Father. Because God the Father, as the provider, gives all things to us that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1. If we're not obeying Jesus Christ, we're fighting Jesus Christ because He's the one interceding that we get help to obey Him through the Holy Spirit. And if we're not obeying Jesus Christ, we're fighting the Holy Spirit because He's helping us, giving us all that we need to perform the task. That's the fourth part. How can you tell if a person loves God? Obedience. You know... We we speak so much about loving God, don't we? We sing about it. We love to stand, even some with arms outstretched. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And so we think, of course, I love the Lord. I just sang that I did. According to the Bible, it's our obedience or not that demonstrates love for Jesus Christ. At home, I have a, an espresso maker. Excuse me, an espresso maker. Not espresso. All the coffee aficionados will rebuke you if you say espresso. <laughs> and it's basically composed of a metal cylinder that is closed tight. Water goes into it, pressure is built up, and releases through the coffee. You cannot tell by looking inside the cylinder how much water is in there. In fact, you don't want to do that while the coffee maker's on, it'll explode. But next to it is a little uh, glass gauge, a little tube. And you can see the level of the water. So as the water is in the little tube, so is the water in the boiler. If on the tube the water is at the halfway mark, you know that the water in the boiler is at the halfway mark. If it's empty, you know it's empty in the boiler. That is the gauge of the boiler. Obedience is the gauge of love for God. So we can say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, but that doesn't show that we love God. We have to look at obedience. That is the gauge. You see, you may have your feet on the ground theologically, but unless they move forward, you don't have a walk with God. You might know all the right stuff, but until you put it into practice, it's just words. The Godhead the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are in perfect harmony with each other. Always have been, always will be. It's that fourth part that is the killer. It's my obedience to His voice that will make that a beautiful melody to the world or make it sound really bad. And since we only have one note, we should get this right so that when the world hears the song, they don't go, "Ugh." It's another Christian. But, ah, it's a Christian. That's a beautiful love song. I want to close tonight with um, an album. Do you remember these? (laughs) This would be considered by some to be an antique. And I have had this a long time. It's even in the plastic. It's a song written by Larry Norman called The Tune. And I think it fits perfectly with our analogy tonight. Once there was a tune, he writes, and everyone knew how it went. But as time went by, people began to forget, or at least no one could remember. There was hatred. There were wars There was death. Then one day, somebody said, How does the tune go? There is no tune. There never was. It's only a myth. These were the philosophers. You mean there's no tune at all? Well, it doesn't really matter what tune you play, as long as you play something. These were the religious leaders. And so the world played on. And there was hatred and war and death. Then one day the people became weary of this song and they sat down on the side of the hill and suddenly they heard a very strange voice. And somebody said, That sounds like the tune. There is no tune. There never will be. Well, it doesn't really matter what tune you play as long as you play something and you don't hurt anybody especially me. But the people listened. And a man appeared before them with a smile on his face and a sad look too. And he was singing the tune. And some of the people began to sing along. And the people who loved him decided to follow him, but the people who hated him decided to kill him. And they did. And when it was finished, they went back to their houses of philosophy and religion and they sat down to their tables to eat and to drink Suddenly they were interrupted by a familiar voice. And they ran to their windows and looked outside to see who it was. It was him. And they became confused and afraid, and they wondered how they could be rid of him once and for all. And while they were watching him, something very strange happened. How did he do that? They said. I don't really know, but he's gone. And when trouble goes, you don't ask where. He'll never return again, ever, I hope. Yet again, they were interrupted. This time, they ran out into the streets to lay hold of him, but they couldn't find him. Just a lot of people smiling. They all knew the tune. And when the people made a mistake, they stopped and they listened. That's how they knew the tune, because they listened. And if you listen, you will hear it all around you. Just listen to your radio, watch television. Listen to the leaders, authorities, governments, the experts. But if you really listen, you can hear another tune. But you have to listen quietly, and you have to listen every single day. In the midst of the world's voices, there is God's love song being played. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect harmony together, inviting you to join along and be the fourth part. And all it takes is, yes, I will obey Him. When He says something and I read it in the Bible, I'll obey Him. When He says something about my personal life, yes, I'll obey Him. When He says something about my family life and my role in the family, yes, I will obey Him. And the world will go, ah, music to my ears. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will not tamper with Your beautiful song of love. You are the provider. You've given us the score. You provide life. You give us everything we need in life. We know, Lord, that Your Son has and does pray for us, intercede for us, plead for us, in the courtroom of heaven even though we have an accuser of the brethren. Thank you, Lord, that we're not here to do it on our own, but we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He will abide with us forever. Just like Jesus. Lord, I pray that When we learn, when we hear a message, when we read a book, when we have our devotional time, and truth is apparent, that we will just stop and we will listen. As we listen and get reoriented, we would come back to that tune over and over again. That the world may know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.